Good morning again. Uh, It's good to see you all. Thank you for gathering here. Thanks for bringing the church into this sanctuary. For those of you that are gathered for Crosspoint at home, thanks for bringing the church into your living room or your front porch or wherever you happen to be watching from. Uh, If you're somebody that's new to Crosspoint, we've never been introduced. My name is Jamie, and it's my joy. It's my privilege to be one of the pastors here. And I also get the joy of opening up God's word uh, with you all as we are uh, now into, I believe, week eight of this series on the life of Abraham. All right. And we are looking at his. Uh, life to help us sort of figure out like what does it look like to actually love God? And so we've entitled a field guide to loving God because that's the big call for everybody, all right? The first and greatest commandment, like love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so we've been looking each week at the life of Abraham as it's recorded in the book of Genesis. And so as we've been journeying through this, we're seeing the ways that he does follow faithfully after God And yet, we also see his mess-ups, his rebellion, his sin, his foolishness, his stupidity, and yet, God continues to pursue him. And I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly comforting. And so that's where we are even this morning as we get into the next chapter in the life of Abraham. There's been this gap of time, about 13 years as we're going to see as we read it from where we were last week as Pastor Eric preached on Genesis chapter 16 and where we are now as we pick up Genesis chapter 17. And we are going to see, as we have been seeing time and time again, God is the one who's faithful. He's made promises. He's made commitments to Abraham. And even as we looked at last week in Genesis 16, though Abram messed up in some major ways, God's like, hey, I still got plans for you, all right? And then what is true for Abraham several thousand years ago is true for us because of the work of Christ. And so I wanna invite you right now to grab a Bible. If you, if you brought one, you can also go to cplife.church on your phone and you'll see a tab there that says sermon notes, an image there, you can click that. We're gonna be in Genesis chapter 17 this morning. There's some pew Bibles as well that you can use. But some way, somehow, I want you to have God's word in front of you. You do not need my thoughts or opinions. The only perfect thing that will happen this morning is God's word, all right? It is true, it is living, it's active, and we need to hear from God. So I wanna go ahead and read this in its entirety, and then we'll make our way back through this. Um, It's a bit to read. We've got 27 verses here. Um, And as you will see very quickly as well, it's like, oh, this is, there's some words, there's some topics, there's some things that um, you're gonna be like, how does this apply to my life here in 2022? And hopefully we will be able to unpack some of that. But here we go. Genesis chapter 17. This is God's word for us this morning. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty, and so live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down, and God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham, For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. 
Verse nine, God also said to Abraham, well, as for you, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. And this is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you is to be circumcised at eight days old. Every male born in your household or purchased from any foreigner and not your offspring. Whether born in your household or purchased, he must be circumcised. My covenant will be marked in your flesh as a permanent covenant. And if any male is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that man will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Verse 15, God said to Abraham, as for your wife, Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her. She will produce nations and kings of people will come from her. And again, Abraham fell face down and then he laughed and he said to himself, can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael were acceptable to you. But God said, no, your wife Sarah will bear you a son. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will certainly bless him. I will make him fruitful and will multiply him greatly. He will father 12 tribal leaders. I will make him into a great nation, but I will confirm my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. So we finally get some indication as to the timeline. And when he finished talking with him, God withdrew from Abraham. Verse 23, so Abraham took his son Ishmael, those born in his household or purchased, every male among the members of Abraham's household, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin on that very day, just as God had said to him. And Abraham was 99 years old when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised. And his son Ishmael was 13 years old when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised. On that same day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his household, whether born in his household or purchased from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. So this is God's word for us this morning, this ancient text that I think if we dive into it, we will see, yes, it is ancient, but that it speaks to you and me present day. And if you're ever wondering, have I said foreskin that often in a sermon? No, I have not, all right? So um, there, there we go. Uh, Genesis chapter 17. And some of you are like, wait, what? Like, I don't, you'll have fun conversations around lunch. But anyway, um, what, I want to, what I want to do is look by starting out at God's covenant promises. And then we're gonna look at this covenant sign, this sign of circumcision. And what does that mean? And what's that all about? And then we'll look at this participation, this faithfulness that Abraham actually shows to this covenant. So his covenantal participation. But what we have to see as we get into this is that there are these promises. And so let's not forget this, all right? And specifically, if we were to break up the text and look at the first eight verses, and then drop down to verses 15 to 22. I mean, his promises are throughout, but they're explicit here, like in these particular sections. And so, again, I'm not, I don't pretend to be a very bright man, but I, what I do know is this, that Genesis 17, all right, was preceded by Genesis 16. 
And what I know is that, and that's profound, you should, you know, anyway. All right, uh, so write that down. Genesis 16 comes before Genesis 17. And in Genesis 16, Abraham did not do what was right. If you missed last week's sermon, go and listen to that online. Go read Genesis 16. Like, you're going to see this plan that was concocted by Abram and his wife, Sarah, all right? Because they're like, well, we're clearly not having any kids, all right? And so Abraham has a kid with this Egyptian servant that's part of their, their kind of their household, all right? It's clearly not God's plan. And what is so fascinating here is that as Genesis 16 comes to an end, we're told that Abraham, or he's referred to as Abram at that point, is 86 years old. Now we're told that he is 99 years old. So there's been this 13-year gap between these two chapters, have no idea what's taken place during this time. I don't know if you know Abram and Sarah at this point are like, uh, we haven't heard from God in a while, what's going on? Not exactly sure. But a 13-year span of time has passed. And then, as 17 begins, after telling us Abram's age, it says the Lord appeared to him. Let's not miss this. We've got a lot of ground to cover, but hear this, if nothing else. The Lord pursued Abram even after he messed up. The Lord didn't say, all right, you know what, Abram? All right, I'm done. Like, you did not listen. You've not obeyed. You've messed up one too many times. I am done with you. Though he would have had every right to do that. No, God, and what we've seen throughout this, he condescends to Abram. He comes down. He appears. He's the one who pursues him. He's like, I know you've messed up, but God, if we look back at Genesis 15, is the one who made a covenant with Abram. And it was this one-sided, like God is like, here's what I'm doing. It doesn't matter what you do in response, like I will be faithful to my promises. And so we see here these covenant promises. And so it's all throughout here. And yet, if we're honest, man, Abram's been waiting a while. Sarah's been waiting a while not only since God came and spoke with him, but also just the fact to be like, I'm 99 years old. At this point, he's rounding up. Did you notice that? He's like, I'm 100 years old. It's like, well, your birthday hasn't happened, but he's like, I'm that old. I can claim it. So he's like, I'm almost 100. This wife of mine, she is almost 90, all right? Like, this doesn't seem to be in the cards at all. And I think it causes us, as I imagine it did for Abraham, just to like, how do you handle waiting? right? Because you think about that, like, just in general, like, how do you do with that? Imagine these, even between 16 and 17, this 13-year span of time, wondering, will God provide? Will God show up? As you wait even right now, imagine if we were to sit down and I could have a conversation with each one of you, there's some aspect of waiting that's present in your life, present in my life, waiting for something to resolve, waiting to get word back on something, waiting about something with, with the future. We don't do particularly well with waiting, right? At least I don't. I want it quick. I want it now. I selected the between 2 to 6 p.m. delivery time slot for same-day delivery on Amazon, and how dare they show up at 9 p.m., right? Like, that sort of thing. Like, that's just our mindset. And when we find ourselves waiting, what we need to do and what we're seeing in this text when we wait, we have to focus on who. When we're waiting, rather than looking to our circumstances or wondering how this is gonna resolve, like redirect our attention to who. 
And Abraham, the one who appeared to him, the Lord appeared to him and says this. Like before God changes Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham, before he goes and says from Sarai to Sarah, he introduces himself here with this language. It says, the Lord appeared and the Lord said this, I am God Almighty. So in the midst of this waiting and this uncertainty, there's like this redirect that's happening. Abram, do you know this? Do you know that God is the Lord Almighty, that he is sovereign, that he is in control, that there's nothing that's catching him by surprise? What was true for Abraham, these words are spoken to us as well. I am God Almighty, the Lord is saying. And out of that, he says, live in my presence, or another translation, walk in my presence and be blameless. Like there's this call to live our life like in, with God in such a way, like we're invited into his presence. And yes, there's a call to obedience, but it always is initiated by God in his grace. And the God who is all powerful invites us in. A.W. Tozer once said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me read that one more time. What comes into our minds when we think about God is actually the most important thing about us. And it's not to say, well, I think that God's almighty, therefore I am. No, that's not it at all. But rather that when I am reminded of who God is, it informs, okay, I don't have to play that role. That's not for me. There's one savior. It's Jesus. It's not me, all right? That part of me that feels like I gotta solve this, I gotta do this, you can tell that part. Hey, go stand in the corner right now. Like, that's not for you. And yet what we saw in chapter 16 is Abram, sadly, almost taking on a posture of, okay, if God almighty's not gonna do it, well, then I'll step in. I'll seek to be God Almighty. I'll take matters into my own hands. And God now, again, he shows up. He's like, I just want to remind you, I am God Almighty. And then out of that, he begins to make these promises. And if, as I read through these 27 verses, if you were to, to go through, you would see some 13 times that the word covenant is used and spoken of. Covenant, 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 covenant. And it's all around people and land, that there'd be generations upon generations, that, that kings and rulers would come from Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, though they do not deserve it. Like there's just this promise, and it's this way of God reminding them, I'm the Lord Almighty. I make promises. And what we know on the other side of the cross and the resurrection is all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. And so there was a confidence that Abraham could have, but it's even greater for us. Like, I can have a tendency to read this and be like, oh, how cool, God appeared to him. Like, what you and I have is so much better, what we now know. And so as he continues, like verses four to six, you'll become the father of many nations. Like, look at the covenant promises here. Your name will no longer be Abram, your name will be Abraham, which means father of a multitude. One commentator said, it's like, it's not just a name change, it's a status change what's happening. And for I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. This is Genesis 1 and 2 language. Be fruitful and multiply. To be rulers, to have dominion. Like this is going to take place. Like God's kingdom is on the move and God's people will be a blessing to all the people. And Abraham, I'm going to do it through you. You even the one that messed up. And if you don't believe me that Abraham has messed up, it's not just in Genesis 16. Like go back and start reading his account beginning in Genesis chapter 12, and you will start to see, oh, he does not do the right thing all of the time. And then he says, as far as Sarai, for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her in the name there. Again, it's, it's kind of two versions of the, the same thing, which means princess, like your royalty. 
that God would speak this about this woman who also was part of a terrible plan in Genesis 16. And she said, he says, I will bless her indeed. I will give you a son by her. I will bless her. She will produce nations. Kings of people will come from her. But I will confirm my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. So as he's been waiting, now it's like, okay, this is happening. We're going to see Sarah's response even next week, but there's this theme of laughter. Like Abraham, God Almighty, he, he like bows down to him. It also tells us that he laughs. And I don't know if it's a laugh of like, I can't believe this. I'm sure there's some level or if it's just this joy-filled thing. But God, because he has a sense of humor and he also loves to remind us like, and you're going to name your son Laughter, basically. So you will never, ever, ever forget, Right? Anytime you get mad at little Isaac, you're like, laughter, get over here, right? Like, it's just gonna remind you of the incredible ways that God works. God is a God who keeps his promises. So as we get into this sign of the covenant, this sign of circumcision, and even this call to obedience, do not forget this, that it is all about God's grace. Like, there can be a tendency to read this and think, well, Abram's gotta do the right thing for God to love him. Go back and read Genesis 15, where God makes a covenant, where there's these animals that, are, I don't have time to get into all of it, but just go read it, and it's fantastic. And one of the things it says, Abram believed God, and it was credited to him, or counted him as righteousness. Now again, I told you chapter 16 precedes 17. Well, 15 precedes 16 and 17, all right? So write that down as well. And in 15, that righteousness that was given to Abram, there had been no sign of the covenant at that point. There's no circumcision. There's no call to do that as this 99-year-old man. It was credited to him as righteousness. So it's all about God's initiating grace. He's a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And then Abram, as we are, is called to response. But just rest in this. I love this. We'll close this section out with this. The words of J.I. Packer in his incredible book, Knowing God, just says this. What matters supremely, therefore, is not, in the last analysis, the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. Those words are true literally of nobody else but God. I am not that kind of parent. I'm not that kind of friend. I, my attention, I am distracted I'm selfish, but God pursues. It's all about God's grace. And so now when we see this, we get into 9 to 14. Now there's this call. Okay, Abram, I'm giving you this sign, the sign of the covenant, this covenant sign of circumcision. And so it's helpful just to ask sort of at a, just a basic level, what does a sign do, right? Like a sign is meant to showcase, to signify a particular reality. The sign in itself is never like the end game. That's not the point. But we see signs all the time and they bring about certain associations, right? So you see somebody like maybe they're wearing a ball cap that has a sports team emblem logo on it. And if you like that particular team, like you identify like, oh, there's, you know, there's one of my people. Cool. There's another Detroit Lions fan that, out there in the world, right? Like whatever it happens to be. 
Like me wearing a Michigan shirt to breakfast, and I, some of you have heard this story before. Uh, my younger daughter had not, I, I wasn't sure if she lined up with her mom to be an Ohio State fan, but I said, hey, you can still get in on this. You want to be part of Team Michigan? And while she ate her cereal, she looked across and looked at my shirt and said, Dad, why would I want to be a loser, right? So like those, <laughs> those moments that you have where it's like, no, that, nah, that team, that logo, that, no, 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 it's got this particular meaning. Like signs signify something, but they actually aren't the reality themselves. Like you stopping at the, hey, welcome to Florida sign, and then just like, people are like, you know there's other places you don't camp around the sign, right? Like it just signifies like you're here. And so this sign is doing something. And let me put before you four things I think that are happening here with this sign. One, this sign of circumcision, it sets apart a people. That's what God did when he went to this man named Abram and he called him out. And he said, go to the land that I will show you. And I'll give you the details along the way. I'm not gonna tell you all of it right now. I'm asking you to trust me. And so it sets apart like a people. God has been looking for a people not to just keep the blessing themselves, but so that they will be a blessing to all the nations. And so this would have been a very clear marker. God's saying, this sign will showcase, this mark in the flesh will showcase to the world, like, no, these are my people. It would be this constant reminder for the men that are part of this Hebrew people, these Jewish people, belong to God. Also with that, though, the sign of circumcision connects the generations. Did you hear that when I was reading it early? Just this, like, this is for you and for your kids and for their kids. I mean, it's like God has this view. It's glorious. Like, God's view is so much bigger than just, like, you and I trying to get through our day or our week or maybe if you got kids, like, hoping they just stay alive, right? Like, he's just like, man, like, no, I'm thinking generationally. And this here, this sign is a way to say, hey, yes, you circum, you know, he's going to tell Abraham, all right, like, yeah, you got to do this, all right? And any male born in your household, anybody that's born in God's people, when the male is eight days old, to have this sign put upon them. But it's this marker in the flesh that would say, you're part of God's covenant people, that God has made and promises. Now, it's possible, obviously, to grow up in a believing home and not become a believer yourself. We're gonna look at this a bit more closely in a moment. Just having this sign doesn't save you, but there is part of God's grace, a means of God's grace to you that they're saying like, hey, you're born into this household and there's some blessings that come with it. One pastor I was listening to by the name of Bob Thune said it this way as he's talking about this. He's like, just, he's like in particular, he just was speaking to like parents and just saying, hey, you got kids, you got grandkids, just know this. If they're growing up in a household where you're seeking to follow Jesus, you're doing it imperfectly. You're messing up all the time. Like, just welcome to the club. Right? That's what we're doing. But he says, the inertia of grace is working in your favor. Like, there's something powerful that's happening. And so that connects the generations. That's what we see taking place here. But also with this, this marking in the flesh, it serves as a call to holiness, because the Lord does say to Abraham, anyone who doesn't have this sign is to be cut off. And so it also is like this physical reminder of this piece that was cut off and discarded. Like if you don't trust in the Lord Almighty, the God Almighty, the creator, the one who gives you grace, then you have chosen death and destruction for yourself. And I think related to this is this marker. It's like there's a distinct people and it's for the generations. But this call to holiness, 
And admittedly, this is a bit of speculation on my part, but I've heard a few scholars reference some of this before, and I, I don't think it's an accident that in Genesis 16, right, I don't want to be too crass here, but if we just think about it, what piece of anatomy got Abram in trouble, right? Makes a plan to like, okay, Hagar, I guess I can't have a kid with, with Sarah, so Hagar it is. So of all the signs that God could have picked, because I was under the impression, too, that like, well, this is when circumcision got invented. That's not true historically. This existed prior to Genesis 17. Historically, you can find the Egyptians that would practice this, variations of it, other people groups. So it's not the first time this has shown up in human history. So why does God pick this? Well, chapter 16, Abram was like, hey, I guess God Almighty isn't quite so almighty. I'm gonna go and make a way. Like, I will do this. And so to be marked in that part of your body, that part of the male anatomy, this promise of procreation in the generations, but also this warning, hey, you did not trust me before. And so he's marked, I would say, in the very spot where he showcased his disobedience. And there's mercy in that, but there also is this reminder there. And then ultimately, all of this, it showcases like a deeper need because it's never meant to just be about this external sign. You don't have to read very far into not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament. That Moses, who wrote Genesis, I'll read you something out of Deuteronomy that he also wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, prophet Jeremiah and others, that would write about the topic of circumcision, but they would say, what is happening here in Genesis 17 is not just, or not even primarily, about this external sign. Let me read you a couple passages. Jeremiah chapter 4 Verses three to four, break up the unplowed ground. Do not sow among the thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, which sounds like Genesis 17 until it says this, remove the foreskin of your hearts. Men of Judah and residents of Jerusalem. So there is apparently something about our hearts that can be darkened, that can be covered, and something needs to be cut away so that we might actually have this transformative work done in our hearts and what we believe and to become people of faith. Like, that's the end game here. Or as Moses would write in Deuteronomy, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you except to fear the Lord your God by walking in all his ways, which sounds a lot like the beginning of Genesis 17, to love him, that's the call here, right? To love God, to worship the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. So he's asking this question and he's saying, so keep the Lord's commands and statutes I'm giving you today. Like obedience does matter for your own good. The heavens, indeed the highest heavens, belong to the Lord your God. It says the earth and everything in it. He's like saying obedience to God, like God's the one who created everything. He knows best how life is meant to function and to flourish. And yet, it continues, verse 15, yet the Lord had his heart set on your ancestors and loved them. He chose their descendants after them. He chose you out of all the peoples as it is today. God's initiating grace, verse 16. Therefore, circumcise, not the male anatomy, not this foreskin, but the circumcise your hearts and don't be stiff-necked any longer that there's something about the human heart that resists a submission to God and his ways, and we've seen it ever since Genesis 3. 
and we think we're original and we're progressive and we're doing new things. And the reality is, no, 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 we're just playing the same old song on repeat. I want to be God. I want to showcase how almighty I am. And we keep getting ourselves further and further into more trouble and chaos. And God comes and says, I'm going to form a people. I'm going to redeem everything. And I want you to have this sign of the covenant, not because that saves you, but because that showcases where your hope and trust actually is. And so as we look at this last section then, all right, 23 to 27, we read this in Abram like right away. I find this fascinating, right? The same day that he gets this word, it tells us on that very day, just as God had said to him, Abram was 99 years old when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised. His son Ishmael, this is the one that he had with Hagar, was 13 years old when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised. And on that same day, Abram and his son Ishmael were circumcised, all the men in his household. I mean, can we just be honest? That had to have been like a weird, all right, fellas, gather up, right? The Lord appeared, the Lord spoke to me. Oh, ooh, cool, what did, what did he say, right? All right, you might not be expecting. I mean, this is just crazy. And so the 13-year-old, Ishmael, now the middle schooler, right, has this done, all the grown men of the household, anybody younger, anybody older, Abraham even. Abram does not live with this mindset that's like, all right, like, no, no, no. Like, I have earned the right to not have to do that, right? He's like, no, the Lord God Almighty said. And so you see this act of love. One of the things we've been looking at throughout the series is showcasing some ways that we see the love of God in Abraham's life, one of which is to be loyal. He doesn't do this perfectly. We're not showcasing, Abram does it right, just be like Abram. No, he messes up too. But there are these moments where he's loyal, even when it costs him. And this was costly, the physical pain. I mean, all, all of this, this was not an easy thing to do. But it's this trust that he has. And we're seeing that play out. So we look at that and we're like, okay, he did the same, same day. Passage ends. We're like, but what does that have to do then with your life and my life? All right? Because this is not how we operate. Okay, this is still the, the sign of the covenant. All right? In terms of we're not, you know, we're going to have some Easter baptisms. We're not doing any Easter circumcisions. Like, that's not what's happening, right? So what does this have to do with your life and my life? Is this just for men? Where are the, I mean, so it raises some very important questions that we need to spend just a few minutes on here in this closing section. And I've hinted at it even as we read Jeremiah, as we read some of those verses out of Deuteronomy. There can be this tendency to view it, and particularly, I think sometimes the longer we've been in church settings, as if, like, okay, yes, God saved me and it's this grace, but, like, any growth that I'm going to experience, like, you start to put the pressure back on yourself. You start to feel like, I've got to do these things, and I've got to clean myself up, and I've got to modify my behavior. Maybe a way to think about it is this. Can participation in the things of God sometimes become a problem? Well, I would say yes, not because they are a problem in and of themselves, Right? There was nothing wrong with circumcision. God said to do this. We look at the things that we're called to. Is it wrong to love your neighbor? No, it's not. Is it wrong to seek justice? No, that's a good thing. Is there anything wrong with gathering here this morning to worship God? No, not at all. Is there anything wrong with reading your Bible or praying? Or, like Those are all, all good things. But they can become problematic 
when we begin to rest in those external things, thinking those things somehow justify us. Maybe a way to think about it is this, when the sign does not correspond to reality. And the sign doesn't correspond to reality. Because God is after, not the external. Circumcise your hearts. Because it was possible for God's people, as we see this throughout the scriptures, to have done all the rituals, make the sacrifices, go to the temple when they're supposed to, circumcise the males on the eighth day. There were lots of circumcised men in Israel that had not had their hearts circumcised. And lest we think that's a problem for people back then, the reality is there are lots and lots of people who have been baptized or are in church or go to a Bible study or tithe or give of their time, and yet their hearts haven't been circumcised. We've not embraced the gospel by faith. We're still trying to earn it. And for all of us, at some level, that's still true. I'm not saying you're not saved. My, my point is, like, there are still things that we grapple with, thinking, okay, this will make God happy with me. But that's not how it is. The sign doesn't always correspond to reality. So, for instance, if you were, um, let me kind of unpack that a bit. Like, again, signs, they correspond to something. They, they signify something. Um, if you were to drive by my house sometime after Thanksgiving um, and it was starting to get dark at night, you would see some lights up on some Christmas lights that are out. I would not be the only ones, right? And many of my neighbors way outdo me, but we will have a string of lights and maybe an inflatable or two, depending on how long they last from Aldi. But anyway, all right? So um, this, these string of lights, and at night they would come on. And what are they doing? The lights are there, they're signifying the reality that, hey, it's Christmas time. That's great, we celebrate that, we're in that, that season, okay? Um, however, had you been over at my house no less than two weeks ago, probably about 10 days ago, you would have seen me up on the roof removing what? Mid-March, I'm taking my Christmas lights down, right? Listen, I'm terrible, okay? I, I'm not advocating for this, but let's say those lights had come on, all right? because I, I wasn't turning them on at least. There was too much shame at that point. But I'm like, I, I don't want to get around to take, taking them down. But finally, I did. Now, had the lights actually come on in mid-March, all right, it is this sign, yes, but it's not signifying anything that is reality, right? There's nothing about me turning my Christmas lights on in mid-March that suddenly ushers in the Christmas season, all right? People are like, wow, okay, I guess it came early this year. Here we, here we go. The heart said Christmas is starting, right? Like, that's not how it works. And yet the reality is lots of us at times can have the sign, and it's not tethered to reality at all, that there's this aspect of our lives that we're unwilling to submit to the Lord, there's aspects where, like, I don't know if I can trust you with that. And the Lord is saying, I want to do this work of circumcision on your heart. Because it's possible to get caught up in all the external things. We'll close with this. Let me read two passages from the Apostle Paul, who understood, oh, man, you can have all of the external things all in place. And it doesn't mean that you have a saving relationship with Christ. You're not experiencing the freedom. And so in the book of Philippians... He's writing, and here's what he's addressing. He's literally addressing a group of people that said, okay, there are non-Jews that are believing in God, believing the gospel, but we can't get rid of all of our traditions, right? And so men were being told, you, well, if, you gotta be, if you're gonna be a real follower of Jesus, you have to get circumcised. Paul has some harsh words for them. In Philippians, go read Galatians. If you're like, oh, the Bible's always just polite. No, he tells them, well, why don't they go emasculate themselves, right? I mean, it's like very, very direct, okay? Um, and so here's what he says in Philippians chapter three. He says, actually, look out 
for the dogs. That's what he's calling this group of people. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we, he says, now here's the circumcision language. We are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul has come to realize this. That's not where the confidence is. And then he says, hey, you want to play that game, though? He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence, he's like, I've got more. So you want to you play that game? Okay, here we go. Let me, let me lay it out for you. Here's his resume. Verse five, circumcised on the eighth day. Check, Genesis 17. He's like, I'm doing it. Not only that, I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. All right, there's all this pride associated with that. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. At this point, he would look over and be like, what you got, right? Like, that's what's going on. He's laying it all out, and he's trying to build the case. None of this matters. And so he continues, he said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Like, all these external things, he's like, at the end of the day, they don't matter and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. This has always been the story. Go back, Genesis 15. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends, not on you, not on your behavior modification, not on doing all the right things, but on faith. You want freedom? That's where it's found. And Paul, again, just because, not to try and be inordinately crass, but let's be honest about this passage. When he lists out his spiritual resume, he literally says, here's how it should be regarded. It's all rubbish. It's all excrement. That's like the polite translation to say rubbish, all right? It's literally hit Paul saying, okay, there's a giant pile of dung and you're calling your neighbors over like, look, isn't it amazing? This is impressive. He's like, no, call it what it is. It's excrement. It doesn't matter. You should dispose of it and get rid of it. You don't celebrate it. That's how he views all of these external things that he's been so devoted to prior to Jesus meeting him and extending grace to him. Paul's like, that doesn't bring freedom. And so when we think about this text thousands of years ago, the calling is, yeah, there's these external things that the Lord invites us into, but it's never to earn anything. It's always just in response. Last passage, Colossians 2, same language. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism. It's like, we don't trust the flesh. He's like, no, we trust what God is doing internally. And then Paul begins to liken it to when you were buried with him in baptism. He's like, when Jesus died on the cross, you now, there's this sign, and it's baptism, and you're buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. And he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. All the ways you've messed up, all the things you've acted out in the flesh, he's like, all those accusations, like 
all that sin, the certificate of all the ways you and I owe God, it was nailed to the cross. It was put on Jesus. The circumcision we need is a circumcision of the heart, one that's done by faith in the finished work of Jesus. We can't earn this. We can't modify our behavior or our bodies in any way to get acceptance. We look to what Jesus has done, and we trust in his finished work. And so Genesis 17 is just this reminder again and again and again that it's by grace through faith. None of this is your doing or my doing. We are saved solely by the grace of God. And as Ephesians 2.10 then says, and yes, we walk in good works that have been prepared beforehand by God. It's in response. Let's not confuse the order. Let us allow this text to remind us of God's initiating grace. He's a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And now we are invited to respond. So I wanna close with this as we go to prayer. We continue in our service the present day sign that we get to engage in, not to save you, but as an outward declaration of what God has done in your heart. The gift we have is baptism. And so if you're somebody here that is trusted in Christ, but you've never taken this step, we would love to celebrate with you. So one practical way, Easter, we will be having baptisms. We're super excited about that. Please come talk to me Anyone in the staff or go to CP Life or go to cp.church slash Easter. You'll see it on our homepage as well, but you can sign up to be baptized. Say, I want more information. We'll have a conversation with you. This might be just a very practical next step. We also have opportunities to give this morning. There are baskets on the side. There's instructions to give online. This is not an obligation. This is, hey, Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us. And we live, like we do these things in glad response to what Jesus has done for us. And the Lord Jesus has also given us this meal. And so I'll give us some instructions. But in a moment, if you're a follower of Christ, you are invited to come up to the table. This does not save you. There's nothing magic here. This is an outward declaration of what the Lord has done in your heart. And yet it also is a means of grace by which the Lord chooses to nourish us and to sustain us. And so we get to participate in this. We're gonna sing. All of this is done in response. It's grace. And then we respond and we get the joy of participating. So let me pray for us and we'll continue in our service. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for your pursuit of Abraham and how it reminds us of your pursuit of us. And Jesus, we thank you that when we were covenant breakers, you are the one that perfectly kept the covenant. And you were cut off so that we could be brought in. You were stripped naked so that we could be clothed in your righteousness. God, may that transform our hearts right now to respond to your grace. God, I pray for any here who have not trusted in you that I pray today would be the day that they surrender and they trust and you do a work of circumcising their hearts. God, I pray for any who have not taken a next step to outwardly declare what you've done inwardly. God, I pray that they would respond by being baptized. God, thank you that you invite us to be part of your kingdom, part of your work, but thank you that we don't have to earn anything. We cannot do it, and so we are solely reliant on your grace. And so God, would you keep building your people, your church for your glory and our joy, we pray in Christ's name, amen.